Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, December 20th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, Open Door founder Eric Wu, who launched Open Door in 2014 and served as the company's chief executive officer until last year, has said in a statement that he's leaving to focus on building new things. That's nice. <laughs> that sounds nice, doesn't it? That does sound nice. I'd like to do that too. You know, he stepped down as CEO and was replaced last year by Kerry Wheeler. He moved into a role where he was heading up their exclusives department. He stated that after 10 years, I'm called to get back to my startup roots and create and build again. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Bruce, it's just another, I don't want to use the word victim, but another example of just the trudgery and the challenge that we're facing in certain parts of the industry, right, in leadership. It's challenging right now. There's no doubt that with the challenges that iBuyers and Open Door specifically have had with the run up in rates, the slowdown in transactions, and, you know, a general threat to their business model over the last few years, that Eric is probably a little tired, right? And starting new things is sexy. It's exciting. It's very different than, you know, nurturing existing things, right? Now, both of those things are really important. And some people are better suited for one than the other. But certainly having been with Open Door for 10 years, he certainly put an extraordinary amount of time and effort into that business and with varied success, right? Even the article itself talks about how this was kind of a buzzy topic, eye buying in general for a period there. It's like all we ever talked about, right? And yet the percentage of impact that they had in the industry turns out to be quite small. Everything runs its course at some point and Eric's ready to, to go back to something that excites him a little more. Right. Well, and if you think about the iBuyer model, right, it's really house flipping. The difference is, and what he did sort of pioneer and bring to the forefront, right, was bringing big technology, big funding, and big scale to the concept. The one thing that's missing in that, big profit, right? (laughs) It, it, It never really materialized. And I find really fascinating right now, open door, had its revenue fall 71% year over year in the third quarter. Now, is real estate, the industry down 71%? I think not. not. There isn't. Right. So again, like you said, it was buzzy around the 2020s, right? But I think what was fascinating was that buzziness caused people to have to get into that market. Keller Williams included, by the way. I mean, we had an iBuyer program and I mean, Zillow and Redfin lost billions of dollars in it as has Open Door, by the way. So what's fascinating is you've seen most everyone else other than OfferPad have all exited that space, Mm -hmm. which Inman said, you know, has left Open Door the undisputed king of the cash off a hill. Well, I think that might be a little oversimplification and exaggeration. King of what? Well, if it's king of the hill, then it's king of the mole hill, because that's my whole point, right? This did not have a significant impact in the industry at large. And not to say that they didn't change bits and pieces of it, like you said, adding technology and a more streamlined experience and certainly bringing big money to the table. 
those are changes, Bruce, but the impact, the overall impact wasn't significant in any way. And yet I think it demonstrates how that fear of other companies missing out or getting behind caused them to jump in. And some of them jump right back out when they realize the challenge that it was. But that tends to happen in industries, right? You get somebody who's making a lot of noise and actually getting some legitimate traction. And pretty soon you think that's going to be the thing. And we, we've got to go and pursue that. Sometimes that's the truth. And other times it falls flat, right? And that's the challenge of disrupting in general. You can have the strongest vision on the planet. And yet, you know, we're not always exactly certain what's going to truly impact and change the way that business is done, right? Well, it shows how difficult it is to actually be a disruptor, right? It's That was a buzzy word too. And yet, you know, I think if we went back, we could actually pull a clip, Chase, and I know we're not into predictions here, but I believe we had a conversation around the fact that, okay, we could understand how iBuying would work in an up market, but what's going to happen in a down market? And actually, we were rather prescient on that. <laughs> so we've seen all of these companies exiting and not making money. Well, Chase, boy, it feels like every week we're reporting this, right? There is new lawsuits all the time. And in fact, uh, there's been a second commission lawsuit in the state of Texas, which has named 47 real estate firms and associations, right? And this is all in the wake of the Sitzer Burnett verdict. What are your thoughts around this? Oh my gosh, Bruce. It's so tiring, right? What we see happening with what I called on this program, a money grab. I think that's all it is. And certainly these attorneys having to name this many people, this many companies, these many MLSs. And by the way, like, why aren't they naming all of them? I, I don't understand the rationale for who they're naming, who they're not naming. I just know that they're painting it with a broad stroke, right? In my mind, it's just their method for achieving whatever level of payday that they can get, right? Not a surprise when you have such a big case that has so many dollars attached to it, and then it appears to be moving in the favor of the plaintiffs that you would have copycat cases going around. And I certainly know there's a lot of questions in the industry now around, okay, whoa, it's one thing for these big companies and NAR to be named. It's another for local, small teams, mom and pops, et cetera, to be named. And so there's a lot of trepidation around what that means long-term, right? And still more questions than answers. The question I pose to you, Bruce, is real estate brokerages, as an example, tend to be asset light businesses, right? Because we don't own the inventory, the, the nope. sellers own the homes, right? And the people that work with us, generally speaking, are mostly independent contractors, so they're not employees, so there's there's not a lot of hard assets typically, right? You've got furniture and some computers. Yep. And I don't know, not much else, right? Usually comes with more liability than asset. Right. So I, I wonder, are they pursuing some sort of insurance claim? Are they pursuing some sort of settlement, right? And, and that's why they're naming so many people. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think they're going to look to take whatever's available. You know, Michael Ketchmark, who was the uh, attorney for the Sitzer Burnett case for the plaintiffs, when they announced the settlement agreement with uh, Anywhere and Remax, he made the statement, yeah, I looked at their financials and we realized we wouldn't get any more than $83.5 million from Anywhere based on their balance sheet. So yeah, we'll accept that, right? And I'm sure it was a similar situation with Remax. So, uh, you know, they're going after the money 
that's primarily, this is a money grab. You know, we talked last week on the news about the lawsuits where a $3 million settlement against Redfin with regards to their employment. And oh, by the way, a third of that went to the attorneys. Mm-hmm. So a million dollars and everybody else is getting about 800 bucks. This is the same thing. This is really about the attorneys driving it. And I think what's fascinating is that anywhere in Remax who entered into a settlement agreement, which by the way, has not yet been approved by the court, but they entered into a settlement agreement. And that was the original three lawsuits, right? Sitzer Burnett, Merle, and Nosalek. If it is approved by the court, then that's all they would have to pay on those three. But guess what? They're continuing to be named Correct. in all of these other copycat suits. Again, we've, we've talked about this. Now we're not only just seeing class action attorneys filing these suits, we're seeing personal injury lawyers filing suits. So now it's the Wild West, right? It's a free-for-all. This particular suit in Texas is seeking class action status on behalf of anyone who listed a property for sale on an MLS in Texas between November 13th of 2019 and the present. And I love this. The plaintiffs are demanding a jury trial. They always like to say that, Bruce, but they're, they're, I believe they're looking for a settlement long before they get to a jury trial. We'll have to see. You mentioned something really important there that anyone who's, you know, tried to settle specific cases is not immune from being named in all these additional cases. And frankly, Bruce, like the amount of dollars that are tied up in these claims, you know, should they all get approved or somehow go through, which I don't necessarily believe that's the case, but should they? I mean, these are numbers that are are bankruptable numbers for these mm-hmm. companies. There's not an ability to pay the billions that they're claiming that are owed so to speak, quote unquote, right? And so, you know, it's interesting to see what will come of this if and when the government may or may not step in on something like this, given, you know, the ramifications it could have to the industry. But there's certainly some worried parties outside of even the real estate industry. And I think you have a third story that we're going to kind of cover that illustrates that. So in related news, and this is really about the second order effects, Chase, you know, you got to think these things through, and I don't know that everybody has thought them through. The mortgage industry trade group, Community Home Lenders of America, is urging government agencies to begin to have conversations surrounding the impact of the jury verdict and potential court ruling in Sitsa Burnett, particularly on lending practices. In a letter submitted Thursday to Federal Housing Finance Agency, Federal Housing Administration, Department of Veterans Affairs, they've expressed concerns over how a shift of the payment of buyer agent commissions from home sellers to home buyers could impact mortgage lending to minorities, veterans, and other underserved home buyers. Again, a second order effect that now doesn't just impact the commissions of realtors, but this will affect lenders and ultimately the consumer. So what are your thoughts about this? I think that's absolutely true, Bruce. You know, I would call them unintended consequences if you want to think of it that way. But same concept that, you know, for a long period of time, the consumer has been very satisfied with how real estate commissions are paid, particularly the buyers that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to purchase a home by not being able to to compensate a real estate agent directly, right? Traditionally, again, not always, but often they're compensated based out of the equity and the net proceeds to the seller. And therefore, those that are maybe underserved or have less of ability to get into a home are able to get professional representation from a buyer's agent, right? And we know how important 
home ownership is to uh, what the government in our country wants and the building of wealth and all the things we've talked about over and over again. So to risk the opportunity for those people to get into a home is a much bigger risk than even the billions of dollars that they're asking for in these lawsuits. And you're seeing this particular entity on the lending side say, hey, whoa, hold on a second. Typically, the commission is baked in, so it's financeable. And if it's extracted, then you're going to harm these people, the ones that we're trying to look out for and protect very intentionally, maybe even more so than others. And that's yeah. the exact opposite of what we want, what our government wants, and certainly what they want, right? Absolutely. And, and if you think about that, what's the roll-on effect of that? Well, if we've got more buyers now who can't afford to buy because they don't have enough for their down payment or they don't have the money to pay for that representation, well, that's going to reduce the amount of competition for homes. So when we lower that, right, demand, Supply goes up, demand goes down. What happens to prices? They go down. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating time we live in, Chase, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot more to come on this, Bruce. And, and I know that it's dominating the real estate news right now. And that makes sense to me, just given the potential impacts that it could have. But, you know, I think that ultimately, given enough time, we know that the consumer will win. And that's something that we can hang our hat on. Right. And if we're looking to provide a high level of service value and to protect this consumer ourselves, meaning we're aligned with what the consumer wants, and I believe we are as a profession, we'll win when they win and they will always win. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Juan Mendoza and Ramon Murillo with Keller Williams Greater Seattle. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.